0: All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, Brent is out this today, this morning. Uh, I believe he did two weddings. Um, I went out of town uh, to Houston last week, and he texted me, I think, and he's like, "I'm I'm in Houston too." And apparently, he was he had a connecting flight. He was doing a wedding, I believe, in Dallas. I want to say somewhere in, somewhere in Texas. But um, anyways, uh, so he's he's out this morning. And last week, he finished uh, our series going through. Uh, The Ten Commandments, that was a really cool series. Next week, we're going to be starting one, uh, as Christy said, on how to neighbor. And so this morning, I get to preach on anything I want to. And um, we're going to do prayer. Uh, Specifically, this little preface that Jesus gives us before the Lord's Prayer. Uh, These these five short little, uh, or I guess four short little verses are uh, Jesus' introduction uh, to the Lord's Prayer. And um, in my opinion, it's one of the, most, uh, it's one of the more richer uh, teachings that Christ has on, on prayer. Um, Jesus himself was a master of prayer. Uh, while he was on this earth, if you just look through the Gospels, he retreats almost constantly to go to pray to his Father. Uh, he's a master prayer. And um, th- that, that prayerful relationship that he had with the Father is rooted in eternity, but we get a glimpse of it uh, while he was on this earth. And what it looks like. And um, he gives us a lot of teaching on prayer. And if he's a master of prayer, we need to pay attention to it. And last semester, uh, in the the spring, our students went through uh, this little teaching and then through each line of the Lord's Prayer. And it was one of my favorite series. uh, Simply because uh, this is a very, very powerful and rich teaching. Uh, The the Lord's Prayer itself is powerful. Um, Just every single line in the Lord's Prayer is just drenched with meaning and significance, and so um, I wanted to go through this with you guys, and um, one, of the, one of the reasons I love Christ's teaching on prayer, and, and one of the reasons that I want to focus on it, uh, especially today, is, um, you know, of all the spiritual disciplines, prayer uh, is probably uh, my least, uh, not favorite, but uh, the thing that I'm, I'm weakest at. Um, I like to read books, I like to teach the Bible, I like to read the Bible, study the Bible, go to church, etc., uh, but prayer is just not something that I'm very good at. And this is me being honest with you. I'm just not that great at prayer. Um, I, I want to be good at it. I want to be disciplined at it. But I'm just not that great at it. And over the years, I've, I've identified two main reasons why I'm bad at prayer. And the first reason is, is because I am a distracted person. Uh, in our age of iPhones, uh, for some reason, I just can't keep off of it. And, and, and it's, it's weird because sometimes I'll get up at 6 a.m., and maybe just the coffee hasn't set in yet or something, but I will try, I will start in prayer and it's like I black out and I wake up on Twitter somehow, you know, and, uh, or, or Instagram goes off or Facebook, I'm not on Snapchat, couldn't figure that one out. But, but it's like all of these, you know, social media things are going off, these little alerts and tweets and bleeps and stuff, and um, nothing bleeps, that's a weird, that's not a right word. But anyways, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm constantly distracted. Another thing is I'm constantly distracted by the worries of life. And Christ tells us to bring those worries to, to him. And yet when I go to prayer and, and, and I'm thinking about all the things I'm worried about, what ends up happening is I will begin to pray about them and then I will start to uh, plan uh, and, and try to figure out how to fix them in my own mind. And then sometimes I'll get up and I'll interrupt the prayer and go and fix it, you know. Um, but but all the worries of life, instead of laying them at Christ's feet, I end up trying to fix them. Uh, instead of praying about them, I end up trying to do something about them. And so I'm just I'm just distracted. I'm a distracted person. But another more fundamental and a, a more simple problem with my prayer life, um, and this is true of you of, uh, of you too, uh, because Paul tells us in Romans eight. But we don't know how to pray. We simply don't know how to pray. Uh, And the way that our sinful minds work, we we turn prayer into things that it's not supposed to be. And and Paul tells us in in, in Romans 8, he says, none of us know how to pray, really. And this is why we have the Holy Spirit who comes alongside of us and prays for us and with us, and he intercedes for us, because quite simply, we are bad at prayer. And uh, the disciples who had been by Christ's side for months and months, uh, even up to three years, They had to ask Jesus how to pray because they didn't know either. The ones who had walked with Christ, uh, the the, the ones who had sat at his feet, this is the God-man Jesus Christ, had no idea how to pray. And when Jesus went off to pray with the Father, they were clueless as to what he was doing. And so even the disciples, they didn't know how to pray. And, you know, sometimes when I pray, I feel like my three-year-old daughter. Uh, you know, my, we are trying to teach our daughter how to pray, and it's the cutest thing in the world, but it's also, she's just not good at prayer. And, you know, she's had, what, you know, two months to practice, so we'll give her some, some leeway here. But, you know, at, when, we, when we bring her to bed, mommy will pray first, then daddy will pray, and then we'll say, Anya, do you want to pray? And she'll say, Yeah, I want to pray. And it starts out so cute. You know, she's praying for mommy and daddy, then grandpa and grandma. And then it moves on to more otter stuff. She starts to pray for Anna and Elsa, you know, Nemo and Dory. Uh, you know, she, she, all of these friends, and then she starts to pray for her toys in her bed. And then for some reason, she'll come back around and repeat the prayer like three more times. And we'll have to just hold her hand and say, Amen. Because <laughs> she'll just go on forever. But sometimes I feel that way. You know, it's like, where am I going in this prayer? What am I doing? And, uh, you know, maybe you feel that way too. And uh, what, what Jesus is doing in this uh, teaching uh, he's, he's giving, before he launches into this prayer that he gives us, and these massive principles to pray for, a Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, etc. Uh, he's going to give us two big picture principles and foundations for prayer that we need if we want our prayer life to be effective. And uh, the way that he teaches uh, the, these principles are, are very interesting. He teaches uh, in a negative to positive, or a negative contrasted with positive, teaching. Uh, so he teaches in a negative way. First, don't do this. When you pray, and if you look at verse 6 or verse 5, he says, when you pray, you must not, right? You must not be like etc., etc. So he starts out with a negative uh, teaching on prayer, and then he moves on to something positive. Uh, and he does this for us two times, which means he's trying to teach us two things about prayer that are very important. Uh, and he only, he only gives us these two things before he moves on into the Lord's Prayer, which means that these principles are fundamental. Uh, they're foundational to our life in prayer. And so we have to sort of lean in and pay attention to what our Lord is saying. Um, <clears throat> so what is Christ saying with this negative, positive, contrast-type te- teaching? What is he saying? Well, he's giving us two principles about prayer. And here, here's what they are. First of all, prayer is not about showing off but it's about relationship. Prayer is not about showing off, but it's about a relationship. That's our first principle. And then second of all, prayer is not about earning God's attention or earning God's love, but it's about responding to his love. All right, so those are our two two principles. They're two massive principles, and we need to get them into our prayer life. Uh, we need to inject them in our prayer life if we want to uh, flourish in prayer. So, Let me repeat those again. Prayer is not about showing off, but it's about relationship. And prayer is not about earning God's attention, but it's about responding to His love. So let's go ahead and jump into our first point here, which is that prayer is not about showing off, but it's about relationship. It's not about showing off, it's about relationship. And we can jump (coughs) into uh, verse 5 here and just read through 6. And uh, Jesus says this, He says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. And truly, I say, uh, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. All right, so first principle is that prayer is not about showing off, but it's about relationship. And the first negative teaching that Christ gives us is He says, don't be like the hypocrites who pray in the synagogues and in the street corners, for they love, uh, verse 5, to be seen by others. Now, what does Jesus mean by that? Well, uh, Jesus uh, is probably walking by a synagogue. He loves to use object lessons. He does this quite a lot in his teaching. Uh, and, you know, in my imagination, he's walking by a synagogue with the disciples, and he's, he's pointing, maybe he's not pointing, that would be rude, but he's pointing out, he's saying, you see those people out in public praying outside the synagogue. Don't be like those people. And one thing we have to know about the synagogue, the synagogue was like uh, the church, but it it was very different in a lot of ways. You know, if you come during the middle of the week uh, to church, to this church, uh, you'll be lucky if the door is unlocked, okay? And if it's unlocked, you'll probably see Christian, you know, uh, doing something uh, with the sound equipment. Uh, Because, uh, you know, our church is not very active throughout the week. We do have some events uh, but it's but it's not a it's not a very busy place during the week. It's very busy during the weekend, but not during the week. Well, a synagogue was very different. A synagogue was a daily place of prayer and teaching. Uh, in fact, they had they had daily uh, Bible lectionary readings. Uh, people would go in and out and pray uh, all throughout the day. Uh, in fact, in the Gospels, we see Jesus uh, participating in in, in, the, in the readings. Uh, he uh, there was one point where he read uh, from the book of Isaiah, and it says that he closed the scroll and he said. In my reading, this scripture has been fulfilled, meaning I am the fulfillment of the scriptures. Uh, And even Paul, when he went to evangelize, he knew to go to the synagogues. And it says that he stayed there all day long and taught and uh, debated with the rabbis there. And so the synagogues were a very busy place, and uh, it was a a very popular place to go and to pray. And so Jesus is pointing out these these individuals, uh, either outside of the synagogue or inside, uh, praying and, he's, and he says, don't be like those people. Okay? Now, what, is, what exactly is he critiquing? Is he just critiquing public prayer in general? What is he critiquing? Uh, well, we know he's not critiquing corporate public prayer because uh, the Jewish people as well as the, uh, the church has had a long history of corporate prayer. And I don't think that he's really uh, critiquing public prayer as such. But what he is critiquing is he's, uh, he's critiquing <clears throat> using prayer as a means Uh, going back to verse 5, to be seen by others. And what he means by that is leveraging prayer as a means of showing off or getting attention or displaying your spiritual resume, as it were. Uh, Leveraging prayer as a tool to get attention from others. Okay? And Jesus says if you use prayer that way, you've already received your reward. That's the only benefit you're going to get out of prayer, in other words. If you're using prayer as a means of attention... Uh, that's all you're going to get out of it. There's no other benefit because you're using it wrongly. And uh, you know, interestingly enough, the rabbis had actually—they actually knew about this temptation. If you go out to the synagogue to pray, there's going to be lots of people watching, and it's very easy, uh, you know, to to uh, be very uh, <clears throat> you know outgoing about your prayer. You know, maybe you raise your hands or fur your brow or talk really loud. And of course, there's nothing wrong with any of those things, but you can sort of use those things uh, to get attention. And they said, you know what? Uh, don't you, If you pray at the synagogue, you cannot pray out loud. You have to pray in your head. <laughs> that was a, prayer, uh, a rule that they established. But it didn't stop people. They still went to the synagogues, and maybe they used their mannerisms or uh, whatever to get attention. Um, but suffice to say, Jesus is critiquing using prayer as a tool to get attention from other people, uh, using prayer as a tool to look very spiritually mature, to sort of show off uh, to, to say, oh, man, that, that person must be very, uh, must be very spiritual. I, I, I don't do that. I don't raise my hands like that. I don't speak as eloquently as they do. Right? And uh, we were on vacation um, last week, and I had a really just a great illustration that sort of popped up that I can't. Uh, it's about my little niece. I'm not taking advantage of her, but it just happened. Anyways, we're at dinner <coughs> It's a good illustration of this. We're at dinner, and um, I have a little niece. Her name is Soraya. She's seven years old. And we're about to eat dinner, and Sarai goes, oh, can I pray for dinner? And uh, we all go, oh, yeah, th- yeah, that'll be awesome. Yeah, go ahead and pray. And so she, at first what she does, she folds her hand, she, she bows her head, and then she looks up, and she notices that we're all intently looking at her. And she just has this little smirk, <clears throat> and then she commences on this five-minute prayer. Just uh, just very eloquent for a seven-year-old, just, and, and, and we're all just like very hangry, you know? You know that word, hangry, right? We're all very hungry and getting irritated, uh, but she's just loving the attention. And so she just keeps on going and keeps on going until finally my mom <laughs> squeezes her hand and she says, Sarai, we're very hungry. <laughs> and, uh, and so she, you know, she forces him to stop praying. But this is exactly what Jesus is rebuking, right? Using prayer as a means to get attention. And we do this all the time. You know, even, even for me, it's, it's like I'm up here in front of a, a, a crowd of people, and what am I going to do at the end of the sermon? I'm going to pray. And I could use that prayer to look really, really awesome. And frankly, that's pretty tempting, you know, just from my own sinful condition. It, it's, it's very tempting if you're in front of a group of people to say, ah, see, now I'm going to use this opportunity to look really awesome. And, you know, we all do this, uh, whether in our small groups uh, whether in a Bible study, uh, it's, it's very easy to say, oh, these people are paying attention to me. I'm going f- to throw in a few extra these and thous, right? And I'm going to look very good. Or on the other side of the ditch, some of us are afraid to pray in public because of this very same issue. We notice that people are watching us and we don't want to embarrass ourselves. Right? And, and this is exactly what Jesus is correcting here. He's saying, listen, do not see prayer as a way of getting attention from other people, for either for positive or for negative. Right? Some of us are afraid of, paying, of praying in public. Uh, and some of us, like, like me, you know, you know, even when my wife and I pray together, uh, if, in, in a lot of ways, that's a more intense audience. Sometimes I get embarrassed praying in front of my wife. And that's not good at all. Because that means that I'm using prayer in, in, in the wrong way. And Jesus says, prayer is not for the attention of others. If that's the end goal of your prayer, you get your reward. You get get onlookers. You get accolades. You get attention, but that's all you get. That's all you get. And Jesus says, no, prayer is not about getting the attention of others. Prayer is for something more fundamental than that. (coughs) Excuse me. What is prayer for? Jesus says this in verse 6. He says, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door. And pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Okay? Um, now we have to understand what Christ is doing. Uh, th- th- this is advice uh, in contrast to going on public to get attention. He's saying, listen, if you're going on public to get attention, uh, go, go to the deepest, darkest, secretest place ever. Go into the closet underneath your stairs. Turn off the light. Because prayer is not about getting attention from other people. Okay? Prayer, rather, is about getting the attention of the Father. Prayer is not about the eyes and the audience of, 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 of everyone around you. Prayer is about the audience of the Father. The real reward of prayer is the Father, is communion with the Father. Right? Even corporately, when we, you know, when we prayed the Lord's Prayer this, uh, j- just now, we're not praying at each other or for each other or to each other. Right? It's very easy to pray at somebody. You know, if you're in a small group and Joe raises his hand, could you pray for me? I'm really struggling with this, you know. Oh, Father, we pray that Joe would just get his act together, you know, hint, you know. It's very easy to do that. And yet even when we pray in an audience, we're praying to the Father. We're praying as the one united body of Christ to the Father for his attention, for his communion. And I just want you to consider why you were saved. Why were you saved? Salvation is not a get-out-of-hell-free card that is a benefit, right? That is the ultimate, final result of sin, which is eternal destruction. Uh, And that's what Adam and Eve did. When they turned away from the Father, they were walking into condemnation and sin and death. And hell is the final experience of that. But salvation is not about getting out of hell. And even salvation is not about Getting your sins forgiven, that's another benefit. But the final goal of salvation is return, uh, rather reconciliation with the Father. When God saves you, what He does is the Father sends the Son all the way down into our death, so that by the Spirit we can be raised out of that death all the way back up to God the Father. The final end of our salvation is face-to-face communion and love with the Father besides our brother Jesus Christ. Right? He takes us up to the face of the Father. We are adopted through him we're made sons and daughters. That's the final goal of salvation. And when you pray, Jesus says you're living out the reality of your salvation. Because we pray in the Spirit, through the Son, to the Father. We are living out. We're rehearsing the reality of our salvation because we're coming to the Father who loves us and who has saved us, and who has made us his own, and who has adopted us, and has forgiven us, and reconciled us, and he says, I just want to be with you. That's the whole point of our salvation. Uh, that's the whole point of prayer, is face-to-face communion with the Father. And so Jesus says, work towards that reward. That is your reward. The Father's your reward. Not 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 the audience of others, not the accolades, not, not the applause, not the attention of other people. And, and if that's your temptation, go into, your, go into a deep, dark closet because the final end is the Father. And so that's the first principle of prayer. Prayer is communion with God. It's not about, it's not about showing off. It's about a relationship with the Father. All right, but what's our second, uh, what's our second principle here? Our second principle is this. Uh, prayer is not about... <clears throat> Excuse me. Prayer is not about earning God's attention, but instead it's about responding to God's love. Prayer is not about earning God's attention, but it's about responding to His love. All right, let's go ahead and look at verses 7 through 8 to see what uh, that means. So verse 7, <clears throat> "...and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words." Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. All right, So this is um, this is an often un- misunderstood uh, teaching of Christ. What does Christ mean when He says, "Don't heap up empty phrases"? Um, is He talking about repetitious prayers? Is He talking about um, you know simply memorizing prayers and just going through the motions? What is Jesus talking about? And um, one thing He cannot be talking about is repeated prayers or memorized prayers. And and there's two reasons for that. First of all, Jesus was a Jewish; uh, he was an Israelite, Uh, and that means that they uh, prayed every Sabbath. They prayed through the Psalms, uh, and they repeated them. Right? Uh, That's that's what he would have done in his his every week worship. Um, But another reason that can't be true is because he gave us a prayer to repeat, which is the Lord's Prayer: "Our Father in heaven, who art in heaven, uh, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, etc." Um, so that cannot be what Jesus is talking about. Um, might I suggest that the, that the <clears throat> meaning of this verse lies in uh, when, when Jesus says, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. There's a qualifier there. And what he's saying is don't pray like the Gentiles pray. All right? And what he means is that there's a quality of prayer that you need to avoid. Uh, there's, a, there's a, um, uh, an attitude that you bring to prayer that you have to avoid if you're going to pray effectively. And it's the quality of prayer that the Gentiles use. And when, he, uh, when, he, when he's talking about Gentiles, you have to understand he's talking to Jewish. Uh, his, all of his disciples are Jewish. So when they hear the word Gentile, they don't hear uh, you know, non-Jewish churchgoers. right? They, they hear pagan religions. They hear idolaters, people who don't worship Yahweh. That's what they hear. And so Jesus is pointing to the other religions that, that don't worship Yahweh. They pray in a certain way that we need to avoid. And what, in what way do they pray? Well, <clears throat> the uh, pagan religions of Jesus' day and back into the Old Testament, they prayed, uh, first of all, they prayed to many gods. They believed in many different gods. So, uh, you know, they believed, uh, for instance, in the, the god of rain. They, this god was responsible for giving them rain. Or they believed in the god of fertility. This, this god gave them babies, you know. And, um, you know, let's say that uh, the rain had stopped. There was a long drought. And so, uh, what do they do? Well, they go and they pray to the God of rain to get rain, right? But they had this understanding that this God, this God of rain, was uh, not not only reluctant to give them rain, but he was selfish and malevolent. And so, before he gave them rain, he would need to be appeased in some way. Uh, uh, He he would need to be, uh, you you know, given something in order to return rain. And so the Gentiles said, well, maybe we need to pray lots and lots. And we need to just say lots of, uh, lots of words. We need to pray for a very long time. And this is what Jesus is getting after, empty phrases, praying for a long time. Or maybe if he, doesn't even, maybe if he, if he still doesn't answer, maybe we should uh, make a sacrifice. Or maybe we should even mutilate ourselves to appease this God. Right? This was the attitude that the, the, the pagan religions had. And this is why when you read the book of Leviticus... Or all throughout the, uh, the, the Old Testament. Yahweh and the prophets have to keep on telling him Israel, stop sacrificing your children to Molech. Because there was this thought that, you know, maybe if I give, gave them my kids, they would be appeased and they would give me what I needed. Or don't, don't cut yourselves. right, or, or don't mark yourselves with tattoos in, in, uh, you know, in tribute to the gods. Don't do those things. And what what is the reason for it? Well, because Yahweh is a loving Father who doesn't need to be appeased. That is the teaching that Christ is trying to give us, and this is exactly what he says in verse 8. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. What is he saying? God is not a strict, malevolent judge who's out to get you. God is your Father. And, even more than that, God doesn't have His back turned towards you and and your prayers are not going to turn, uh, you know God's back, uh, God's face to you. God already knows what you need, and what that means is He's already attentive to your needs. He already cares about you. And so Jesus says, "Don't, don't see God as this malevolent, violent God who needs to be appeased, who doesn't care, who's a strict judge. See Him instead as the Father, who already cares." Right? Because if you see God in this way as as this God who has his back turned and you need to get his back turned or his face turned towards you, that's anti-gospel. That says, I have to do something to condition God's reaction to me. Rather than God loves unconditionally and wants to save us and goes into our death to save us and takes all of our sin upon himself to save us. Right? Romans 5 while we were yet sinners, while we hated him, what was God doing? God died for us, right? That is the gospel, that we had our backs turned to him, not that he has our back, his back turned to us. He is the loving father who cares for us. And he's not, you know, he's not a distant, uh, aloof father like some of us, Right? <laughs> You know, anytime I read this, this passage, I always think there's this list on my fridge of things that I need to do. And um, I almost always forget to look at it, you know. So I, I'm just going to be honest with you. There is a uh, changed light bulb uh, written on there that has been on there for months. And, um, and, you know, I haven't done it yet. And so what is Andrew, my wife, forced to do? Well, she's forced to get my attention. Right? She's forced to say, Lucas, please do this or sometimes i'm on my back back to the social media sometimes i'm on my phone and one of our kids needs something right and and i'm just not paying attention right that's me being a bad dad right but god is never a bad dad he's always attentive he always cares he always knows what we need and the principle is this when we go to god in, in prayer we need to understand that he loves us more than we love ourselves He cares for us more than we care for ourselves. He knows our need more than we even know our own need. In fact, he knows what we need before we even need it. Now, you might say, well, doesn't that mean that I shouldn't pray then because God is already acting? No, it helps us to go into prayer assured that he already cares. It helps us to go into, uh, into prayer with an attitude that says, God already loves me. I don't need to turn his his face towards me. I don't need to do anything to get his attention. He's already acting on my behalf. You can rest assured in his love, right? You can rest assured that things down the road that you don't even know that are coming, God already cares about. You know, there are things that I do for my daughter <clears throat> that she has no idea that I do for her, right? I pay the light bill, the water bill, we get groceries, you know, the yogurt that she likes, we get, her, we get it before she even asks for it. You know, we change her diaper before she even asks to have her diaper changed. In fact, she might not even ask to have her diaper changed, which is gross. But we do that for her, right? And even last night, you know, she has this uh, big group of about 15 to 20 little toys that she always has to have in bed. And you'd think that she would miss one. Like she wouldn't, you'd think that she has so many toys in her bed that she might forget, oh, she doesn't have a rubber ducky in her bed. We're not, we're not going to worry about it because she already has all these other toys. No, she knows exactly how many toys are in her bed and which ones are missing. And so it's, it's gotten to the point where I've had to carry them in my shirt and, like, stuff them in my pockets because there's so many different toys. But every, every night, if, if, if we're missing one, she knows it and she wants that one. And so in anticipation, my wife got this little tote, which is now her tote for carrying toys up to bed, right? She has a, she has a problem. But anyways... Um, but, right, we're, we're doing things in anticipation for the need for her. Right? We're, we're caring for her before she even knows that she needs to be cared for. That's how God is with us. He cares for us before we even know that we need to be cared for. And so Jesus says, don't, don't see God as this malevolent God who needs to be appeased before he will turn his face towards you. That's not the kind of God that we worship. We worship the Father. Who's a loving father? He's not an aloof father. He's, he's near. Right, All throughout the scriptures, God wants to be near his people. That's the point of the temple and the tabernacle, it's the point of the incarnation. God wants to be in union with us. That's the type of father he is. And it's for this reason, you know, uh, uh, Eugene Peterson, he's a great author. <clears throat> he says that prayer is, is not a means of getting God to be attentive to us. Rather, prayer is what he calls answering speech. Prayer is responding to his love. Prayer is not getting his love. Prayer is knowing that he loves us, feeling assured, coming to him, knowing that he's already caring for the things that we're bringing to him. Uh, That's the type of God that we worship. It's answering speech because he already cares. And um, just as we end, how do we know that he already cares? How do we know that he already cares? One of my favorite chapters in the Bible is Romans 8. And Paul says at the very end, you know, this is when he whacks eloquently in, the, in, in this chapter, and he says at the very end, he says, if, if God didn't even spare his own son, how will he not give us all things that we need? Right? Uh, sometimes we come to God in, in a position of poverty, thinking that oh, I just need to beg that he would give me what I need. And yet God, in the abundance of his grace and mercy, has already given us everything that he possibly could in his son. The father voluntarily gave up his son and the son voluntarily went into our fallen condition and went all the way into our death. He took all of the sin of the world onto himself and he swallowed it up, right? The father felt the pain of giving up his son. And luckily he raised uh, three days later in, in victory over that sin. But if God has given us his son to the death of the cross, how can we not also rest assured that when we come to him in prayer, he will give us every single thing that we need? How can we not rest assured that he already loves us? How can we not rest assured that we don't need to turn his face towards us? Uh, turn his face is already turned towards us. It's been turned towards us. Ever since the fall, God has been actively saving us. And so we need to come in anticipation Knowing he's already acting. Knowing that he wants face-to-face communion with us. Uh, and Jesus says, if we have these principles, it will change our prayer life forever. It'll change, you know, If we actually believe it. Uh, so, lo- let's pray. Father, we just, <clears throat> we thank you that we can rest assured of your love. Help us to rest in that. You know, Paul says in Romans 8 that you gave up everything for us. That you could Get us back from death and from the destruction of our sin and condemnation. Help us to rest assured in that, uh, that you love us. And help us to come to you, to commune with you, and and to know that you love us. And pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.